Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? I'm feeling historic, Amy. It has been a week. I think historic is the right word. I think exhausted is the other word. Yeah, those those two words go together this week and uh, I, I'm crushed. I really am because I was really looking forward to Orlando, but that will have to wait. I tell you, here's what gets me. I I was finally going to get my year. We were going to break 10,000. I've been pushing since the beginning of this podcast. Decisions are made by those who show up. Let's break 10,000. And it was going to happen. And now it's not. And that that crushes me. I'm really, I told you this the other day, I'm really bummed because that end of the year episode that we're going to have when we look back at our questions and we talk about will we break 10,000 and we're going to look at each other and go, well, that's, no, that's a tear. No, we did That's right. Did we, oh my goodness. Did oh, we, we ever... made a huge deal out of it. Oh, we're going to break 10,000 easy. Oh, yeah. we'll have 12 or 15. Oh, we may f- break 15. Yes. Nope. Our, que- our, our end of the year episode will be a fascinating one, I think. Egg on face. Yeah. Well, That's it what is, it'll be. It is really sad. But you out know, of our control. You know, here's the truth. The saddest person in my house about this, and I, I don't mean this to say that I wasn't. I mean to just give comparison. The saddest person in my house over this was Mary, our 16-year-old. That is her favorite week of the year. Oh, I and thought you were going to say because she lost her trip to Disney. No, no, she loves the SBC. She she loves oh, it. She loves to go. She loves to see what's happening. She she loves the fact that because we stay in the convention hotel, you know, she's 16 and so for the last few years she's had a lot of freedom and independence cuz she just she gets her room key, she can go places. She loves to walk around the exhibit hall, catch up and see people that she hasn't seen in a while. She was very sad. And actually, of all the questions that we've gotten about procedure and things, I don't know that anyone grilled me as hard as she did about why we needed to do this. So, yeah. so it's, it's pretty sad in this house. All right. So we're going we're gonna to come back to this later. We're, we're just going to give you the, the brief overview right here, and then we're going to come back to it because we, we're going to have an extended discussion about this. We did this already on Facebook Live earlier in the week. Many of you probably watched that, had a huge reach on that. And uh, thank you for joining us on Tuesday afternoon. But obviously, if you listen to a podcast weekly about the Southern Baptist Convention, this is no news to you, more than likely. Right. But the 2020 SBC annual meeting Scheduled to be held in Orlando, Florida, June 9th and 10th at the Orange County Convention Center West Concourse has been canceled. Due to grave emergency, using yes. our constitutional language. Yes. yes. And the, the global pandemic of COVID-19, uh, the coronavirus that we are all facing. And so we've seen a lot of cancellations of events. Even the same day was announced that the Olympics would be postponed. Yes, so, not in, in 2020, but before 2021 summer, which right. is about as specific as we've tested almost 17 people in Missouri a few right. weeks ago. Yeah, so it so in some in some ways the announcement doesn't come as a huge surprise simply because we are surrounded by so many events and places canceling and closing, but yet it still it it still was a pretty big hit this week. Yeah. And we're not the only major 
denominational conference to be canceled this year, or at least moved to 2021. The Methodists, United Methodists, were supposed to meet this year. That you know, that's the big thing. We were drawing up the separation. I mean, it's a huge deal in in Methodist world, and they're not meeting either because of right. it. So you and I were right. on a, a phone call earlier with a reporter talking about that and how both denominations are trying to work through what this means for the current year. Well, the good thing right. is the work of the Southern Baptist Convention goes on. Uh, That's right. Same with the Methodist. But our churches still ministering. And we'll talk a little bit about that, some, what the, some of them are doing. But because we're not having an annual meeting does not mean the work of the Southern Baptist Convention stops. That's right. Because uh, as I heard you say earlier today, the work of Southern Baptists happens in the local church every day. We also know that our cooperative program ministries are not dependent on an annual meeting to do their work. And so they can continue to serve, especially during this time. Yes. State conventions still doing their work. Local churches still doing their work. National entities still doing their work. Local associations still doing their work. Missionaries around the world still doing their work. So uh, this is a, a reminder that just because we aren't meeting in June does not mean that the Southern Baptist Convention has stopped working in the world. So God is still using us, still working through us, and we are still on his mission. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about this later in the episode. We'll have a special extended session to discuss that. But uh, we do want to move on to other COVID-19 related matters uh, because there are quite a few of them. The Senate has okayed a coronavirus bill that did not include a charitable cap increase. It will provide uh, economic help to workers, small businesses, state and local governments, hospitals, education, and at the same time, even individuals. But it will not increase the charitable cap uh, that uh, they were fighting for that. ERLC was pushing to have that moved up, but that did not make it in the $2 trillion relief bill. So uh, that has been passed, was passed unanimously, 96 to 0 in the Senate. It moves on to the House of Representatives, and they are expected to vote on that today. So we'll see where that goes from the House. Uh, but also, we, we mentioned IMB, and we mentioned our missionaries around the world. IMB has postponed all volunteer trips through June 30th and has issued a shelter-in-place order for its personnel around the world. We had already seen that they had done this through April, uh, but now they're extending that through the end of June. They're going to reassess that on May the 1st. So, That's right. You know, Amy, you have friends that are missionaries overseas. I have friends that are missionaries overseas. We, we've interviewed them on the podcast here. Our concern is for their safety around the world all the time. But That's right, right now through this uh, pandemic, you know, especially so. That's right. I just heard from a friend who is in one location and they are in a shelter in place type situation and they're just in their home, but they do have ways that they are continuing to minister to the people around them. And, and we are definitely praying for them. Also our friends, Daniel and Tara Rice, who was on my list to, for us to get as an interview, they really have been working hard in Tokyo to prepare for the IMB's ministry during the Summer Olympics. And now on and now this week when that was postponed, I was thinking about them as well. They are good friends of the pod, and I hope that Daniel is listening here. It was still in my plans to get them on here to do an interview, but I think we'll have to, I guess, put that off, or maybe we'll do an update and find out what the work of that ministry is yeah, as they that prepare has been for down the road. To later than 2020 and before the summer of 2021 as well. You mentioned that already. 
Yes. Yeah. Well, maybe we can. The, get I'm talking some... about the interview. Talk about the interview. Oh, the, the interview. I'm being very specific, yes. and when there we'll have them are. on. There you are. So we'll we'll have to find out. We'll have to find out what all is going on with their plans. I know that's been tough, even as they are under you know certain types of social distancing measures there in Japan, which is tough. It's a very crowded city in Tokyo, and so. Our prayers are with all IMB personnel around the world. Absolutely. And speaking of kind of around the world, not really around the world, just just south of us, Amy, well, quite south of us, down in Puerto Rico, uh, the island is on an island-wide curfew in response to COVID-19. All non-essential businesses have been shut down, and they have limited traffic and, and population you know, travel during the day and nighttime hours. Uh, but Send Relief is still at work down in Puerto Rico. They have been distributing meals down there through the 50 local churches because people just don't have meals and Send Relief has already been at work. So we have a Send Relief, a big Send Relief Center down there in Puerto Rico. They have distributed 50,000 meals to residents across the island uh, through those 50 local churches that they're working with. So the work of Southern Baptists, like we said earlier, continues on, especially in places like this. We also had a story in Baptist Press this week, and we're, we're finding these stories. These are great stories. We have a story from New York, a pastor on Long Island who has a relief ministry that he helps work through, and he's running that from his bedroom, basically, because he was diagnosed with COVID-19. And it has, you know, has to be sequestered and quarantined at the house. He's, he's in decent health right now, but he's still running that relief agency in Long Island from his bedroom as he's quarantined because of COVID-19. That's incredible. And this relief work becomes more and more important all the time. It's great to see, as you mentioned, Puerto Rico, that work that is happening because that's an island that is, has really struggled to find stability after Hurricane Maria and the earthquakes and other things. And so the presence of relief ministry like that now as they move into stay-at-home situations with COVID-19, it's just really tough. They were already trying to trying to get back. And as you said, the pastor in New York, too, running relief ministry out of his bedroom as he's quarantined, it's really incredible. And I imagine that in the days ahead, we're going to see more and more work all over the world that people are doing to help this situation. Another way that churches are helping and state conventions are helping, Louisiana Baptists, they've donated 10,000 N95 respirators, uh, that's the masks that you see on TV, uh, to Oshner Medical Center in New Orleans, which is a hotbed of uh, outbreaks for COVID-19, as well as 14,000 more to other medical centers around the state. So they've donated almost 25,000 masks, and they continue to donate other supplies. Uh, I know they're doing that. We have stories from other states. Uh, North Carolina has also been donating things, uh, the Baptist men in North Carolina, and we're seeing this from state after state after state. So the work of Southern Baptists, they're really stepping up to the plate here. Because of the disaster relief, because of sin relief, uh, that we have those established channels of relief work, we're able to really step in and help mine the gap here in a lot of these states, especially down in the South where these, these uh, disaster relief organizations are, you know, really mobile and very well prepared for issues like this. So kudos to Louisiana Baptist and all of the state Baptist conventions around the U.S. Uh, for what they're doing to help on the disaster relief side of things. Also a great story in here about a Longview, Texas church, New Beginnings Baptist Church, who are helping 200 families a week with groceries. 
and helping them acquire groceries during the pandemic. So we have local churches stepping up. We've seen a lot of churches helping with uh, food and meals uh, for people who are affected because a lot of those who are food insecure you know, need help and, and usually get that through government programs or schools. Right, public but schools. schools aren't meeting. That's right. Government programs aren't, you know, established for the mass that they're looking for. And we've seen a lot of churches step up to the plate. So a lot of churches still carrying out the work of the ministry and, and using that also uh, in great commission ways, seeing people come to Christ. We've, we've heard story after story of that. So uh, just encouraging to see Southern Baptists stepping to the plate here and helping their neighbors and their communities uh, really just with these essentials that they need. One thing that I have really been impressed with is seeing the creativity of different churches and ministries. Like we've heard about one church, I think it was Green Hill Church in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, that was using their, they had a wholesale supplier for toilet paper. And because lots of people were having trouble finding that, they found ways to connect with their community in helping provide that. I also heard about an engineering professor at Louisiana College that had the, a 3D printer there, and she began to work with the folks at Louisiana College using those to produce the face shields that folks in the medical profession right now when they're treating patients or conducting tests. So what we're seeing is mobilizing things that we already have, and then people also stepping back and saying, what can I do? What are some connections that we have or gifts that we have, you know, things that we can do to deal with this specific need. And I think that's pretty cool. We're going to continue to see that. Absolutely, Amy. And on the financial side, we also, unfortunately, kind of expect some cutbacks because of dropped in giving. We're already seeing this from the Florida Baptist Convention. They released that earlier this week. We're hearing it from seminaries, from state conventions, from local churches, all across the board. Everything's being impacted on the financial side of things. Right. So we'll continue to update on that as we have official word and just pray for wisdom in those decisions. I do want to also pray for our seminaries because right now, Amy, every seminary we have is under a shelter in place order, stay at home or order, some, something yeah, like that. Some, some yeah. version of that, depending on the city that they're in or the state. And so everyone's kind of scaling back to essential personnel and everyone being in their homes as much as possible, obviously, conducting class online. It's been interesting to see how my house has become a sort of ground zero for seminary business. There was a Zoom faculty meeting happening in the office the other day and lots of lots of lectures that are being conducted, things like that. It's good that we have an office that can be used for that. But they have had to transition in a very short amount of time and also have students that are in their apartment complexes, things like that. All of those, all of those people are dealing with some level of a, a stay-at-home order. Yeah, I talked to Drew and Mary, and they say the lectures in the house are nothing new, by the way. Accurate. Yes. <laughs> yes. Also, another thing that we're seeing, we're seeing, starting to see states and state conventions do online prayer gatherings. That's something that That's Tennessee right. did this week. Colorado did this week. Uh, we saw one that wasn't like officially from the state convention in Oklahoma, but a lot of Southern Baptists participating. The Oklahoma right. governor really called that one, and That's he and right. his wife hosted it. And it, George was texting us from Oklahoma a couple of days ago. George Schroeder, who runs Baptist Press, lives in Oklahoma right now. hasn't quite moved down to Nashville yet, but he's 
kind of quarantined in his house or, you know, stay at home order in his house outside of Oklahoma City, but was showing us and sending us clips from that. So it was a fantastic little thing. And the Colorado the other night, Nathan Lorick, even with all this going on, I'm starting to see some neat things online, Amy. I don't know if you've seen this, some tweets, but I saw that Georgia had an increase in their baptisms. I saw that Colorado has had a big increase in their baptisms over, you know, the ACP numbers are starting to come in now, Amy. I'm starting right. to see some very encouraging signs about Southern Baptist ministry across the From the US. last year, and yeah. Even in this time of despair and uncertainty, it's still awesome to see how God is working through Southern Baptist and other churches throughout the country. That's right. That's the news of the week, the kind of the COVID-19 update, uh, so to speak. But we go back to our big story of the week. That is the annual meeting. So uh, there was a release from Baptist Press. There was a statement also that was sent out. And there's an FAQ at the SBC website. That is at sbc.net slash annual meeting. About 20 questions or so in the FAQ that covers a lot of things. We're going to walk through a few of the ones that we've gotten questions about the most. Amy, let's start with the process for canceling the annual meeting. You know, What's our process? How did this come about? Kind of walk us through everything that had to happen to get to this point. Right. So first of all, I think we need to address that this is not the first time that something similar to this has happened, not exactly the same because of how our process has developed. But this would be the fourth time that the decision was made not to meet. Uh, the first time was in 1865. That's when the convention was meeting biannually. Is that, am I saying that right? Bi- biennially. I think that's the way to say it. There was a biennial convention. There you go. Meeting every two years at the time. So they were scheduled to meet in 1865 and could not. It, was, it ended up being canceled because of the Civil War. Then in 1943, they couldn't meet then because of World War II and restri- government restrictions. I think primarily for just budgetary reasons and travel, people were asking, people were being asked to restrict, to restrict what they were doing. That one, when you look in the annual, it was deferred. That's how it was referred to. It does seem like as you read their explanation that the deferral was until the next year. They discuss that in their report in that annual that everything would just continue on through to the next year. So their deferral was to to just move it to the next year. Yeah, because remember, that was pre-D-Day. That was in the height of World War. There was no outlook that the war would be over anytime soon. Right, right. So they meet in again in 1944. They had been building up to a centennial celebration in 1945. They had had reports on it for the years leading up, a committee that was preparing that. And then in 1945, there were government restrictions on any meetings greater than 50 that didn't have to do with the war effort. And so there was a lot of concern, but there wasn't really a process laid out for how to handle that. So the SBC president at the time went to the executive committee. They convened a special called meeting to discuss, and they determined to defer. And their deferral at that time was sort of open-ended. You can see how this plays out in the 1946 annual. And when you go read the story in there, they had hoped to call a special meeting later in the year. They ended up being unable to do that because uh, as the as the time got closer, I think they were wanting to do it in November. So they appealed to the government. The restrictions had not been lifted yet. They appealed to the government asking if they could. The government still said no. And then just a few days later, they lifted the restrictions. 
So by that time, they reach out to cities and hotels and they were already booked because a bunch of people all of a sudden were saying, all right, restrictions are lifted. Let's schedule our meeting. So then they finally just decided, let's just wait until 1946. Let's just not do it. And after that, in 1946, they changed the Constitution. They had a committee on Constitution and bylaw revision, and they recommended, and it was passed, to put in what we have now, which is Article 11. Article 11 has four parts. The first one is the convention shall hold its meetings annually at such time and place as it may choose. All right, that's a pretty basic one. That's the one we use almost all the time. Now we get into the other three parts. The second part is the president may call special meetings with the concurrence of the other officers of the convention and of the executive committee. So this would mean that a special meeting could be done in addition to the annual meeting if there was some kind of reason for that. Or in a way what they were trying to do in 1945. That's probably a a provision there. Number three is the executive committee may change the time and place of meeting if the entertaining city withdraws its invitation or is unable to fulfill its commitments. So that is the option to reschedule, but it is dependent on the city taking some kind of action. Or the facility. Right. Or the facility taking some kind of action. In two years, and I hope I'm not being prophetic here. But in two years, we're scheduled to be in Anaheim. Let's say in February, there was a massive earthquake in Anaheim and something happens to the convention center and we can't have it there. Well, guess what? Then the EC can meet and say, hey, instead of having it in Anaheim, we're going to have it in, I don't know, Phoenix. Right. And it it mentions time and place because they can change the location. And also it could be that we say we're going to have it in Phoenix and we go to Phoenix and they say that week is not good for us. Yeah. But the next yeah, we week can have is. it in August, or right. or they could say Anaheim could say, "Hey, we can't have it in June, but if you guys come in August or September, we'll be fine then, and we could move it back because right. of that." Right. Yeah. So the executive so that's, that's more like the um, natural disaster type provision, right? In there. So the executive committee, as the kind of the manager of the convention, the board itself, they can respond to the city by changing the time and place. They have the authority to do that. Part four, that's what we address, what we dealt with this week. The convention officers, the executive committee, and the executive heads of the convention's boards and institutions acting in a body may, in case of grave emergency, cancel a regular meeting or change the place of meeting. So let's just kind of take this together very quick. So the convention officers, the executive committee, and the executive heads of the convention's boards and institutions... So the boards and institutions would be the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, Guidestone, think it used to be called the Annuity Board, and Lifeway used to be called the Sunday School Board. So those four boards and institutions, that would be our seminaries. So the executive heads of those entities, along with the executive committee and the convention officers, can work together and make a decision to cancel a meeting or change the place. Obviously, changing the place was not an option for consideration in this situation. But that group came together and determined that this constituted a grave emergency. And so they decided unanimously to cancel. So this body didn't have the option to set a time later. They couldn't change the time of the meeting. 
And while the executive committee, if the city of Orlando did something, ha- could have done that, the executive committee was also involved in this decision. And so they unanimously decided to cancel a regular meeting. All right. So then that leads to a lot of other questions of the fallout kind of. So we, we've worked through this is why and how we canceled it in grave right. emergency. And now the question is, what about so what about elections? Well, there's no meeting, so there's no elections unless a special right. meeting is called and it's part of the agenda. We'll get to the special meeting in just a minute. Right. But let's just, for, for this, let's just assume annual meeting stuff right now. Yeah, you so, can't do those things if there's no yes. annual meeting. And, and, and some people have asked, well, what about the one-year provision? So here's my explanation on that. This year's annual meeting was scheduled to be June 9th and 10th. So the elected officers, per the thing, they take office at the conclusion of the annual meeting. Let's say we'd had an annual meeting this year. It ended on June the 10th. Officers went in charge. Well, their term in the bylaws says, you know, one year, one year terms, obviously, that they are elected until their replacements are elected and qualified. Okay. So the one year term would not end on June 10th next year because the next year's annual meeting is on June 15th and 16th in Nashville. So we wouldn't have a five-day window where we don't have officers because there was one year in this firm. No, they stay in office until their successors are elected and qualified. So just think of this. Instead of a five-day window, it's like a 365-day window or 370 right. days, I guess, right. now. It's an extension, So it's just really extended window. Nothing changes. Nothing happens on right. the election side of things. It's just instead of a year, it's basically when you see year – it's almost better to think from annual meeting to annual meeting because the bylaws, I think they were kind of assuming an annual meeting. Right. Um, so that, that's where, that's where we are there. So people have questions about the officers and why, you know, JD and Noe and, uh, Marshall and Kathy and John are not out, you know, come June 10th. It's right. because it extends because, because of that provision the, in the, the thing part, that says right. the su- until successors are elected and qualified. And that that's supersedes that it. And that supersedes yes. it. So. Say the we had do the uh, number three where we talked about moving it back. You know, say something had happened. You know, to go back to our twenty twenty two scenario, and we had to move it to August. Well, we wouldn't have no officers from June to August. We'd still have them right. in there, and they'd be elected until the successors were elected and qualified in August. Same kind of thing, just right. a bigger window. That's so, right. That's the best way I can explain that. Yes. Hopefully. Yes. So that's that's the officers now, trustees and committees. Trustees are dependent on the charters of the institutions. I think only Guidestone and Southern have special provisions where they automatically end at the end of the term. The right. others are just like the officers where they carry on until their successors have been elected and qualified by the convention, which means that trustees who are scheduled to roll off this year stay on another year at everywhere but Southern and Guidestone. I believe that's the case based on the, the legal interpretations we got. Right, so, because the charters are place. dependent. The chart because yes. the charters are different it's, depending on the states that they're in. Yes, exactly. So, so it, that one all depends on the charters, and from what we can tell, most trustees are going to just stay in place until next year, and then it'll be dealt with then. Because the committees will not report out replacement trustees, the committee on nominations, and J.D. Greer won't appoint a committee on committees because there's no annual meeting for them to do their business at. So, the committee on nominations just stays working for another year. Basically, they just got extended time. Right. So they get another year to come up with replacements and they'll do the replacements for uh, the ones that were rolling off in 2020 and 2021 next year in Nashville. 
Yes, and when you discuss when you discuss the the different states and charters, so what happens if they can't do that? The, if the trustees can't continue serving, think of it like when there is a vacancy because that happens. So we have trustees from different states that are at different entities, and someone might move to a different state. That means they're not eligible to serve anymore. Yep, we've lost well, four executive committee members this year because of that. Right. So then each. Each charter has its own way of handling interim trustees, yeah. which some usually allow for just, it, some do not. Right, which just typically when they have an interim trustee, then that person serves until the next annual meeting, and the committee on nominations might put them on for that next term, but or might not, or might not. But those provisions are in place for what to do. So it would be as it would be as if for those where they. Where the state, it has, you know, that it's not about successors being elected; their term just completes. They would go into whatever happens when there's a vacancy. Exactly. All right. Now, committees. And we talked about the committee on nominations. They remain right. in place. If one of them leaves, then the executive committee itself appoints replacements for the committee on nominations between now and next year, whenever they they do their work. Which has happened before. Vacancies happen. That, that's that's so happened before. I think that. a few years right. ago, one of the chairman or the vice chairman, I think passed away during the year after being named at the previous or the previous annual meeting. So like in February or September, whichever one it was, the executive committee named a replacement for him because he had passed away. So same kind of thing there. And then the resolutions committee that was named and appointed a few weeks ago by J.D. Greer, the president right now, they stay in place until their work is done, which would be next year. And if one of them for some reason cannot serve next year, then would just they would be replaced by another appointment. Yes, it'd right. be a replacement appointment. There you go. Right. So that's a direct appointment by the president, but he has already named them. So he just now has named them really, really early. Really early. And so they're in place unless one of them cannot serve and then he would appoint someone in their place. The Committee on Committees, which is another president-appointed committee, Two people have been named, the chair and vice chair, but the rest of the committee had, they Both not- Both friends of the pod, by the way. Yes. Uh, let's be really clear about that. Marty Jackman, friend of the pod, as well as Meredith Cook. I got, I, I, I can't ever, ever do that again. Anyway, so they were named and, but the rest of the committee had not been named yet. And so yeah. it just follows the same rules that they have to be named so many days out. Now that it's just an extra year. But those people who have been named already will continue for the yeah. the next time that their service is needed. Other standing committees, the Committee on Order of Business, those all stay in play until next year. So right. Adam Greenway is still the chairman of the Committee on Order of Business. That's right. The Credentials Committee, still in place until next year. Stacy right. Bramlett, still the chair of that. That's so. Right. Nothing on those has really changed unless one of them decide I can no longer serve and then it goes then into its normal replacement right, right. type thing. There are processes. Yes. So yes. that's all the committees, trustees, elections, the process. Now, special called meeting, Amy. That possibility exists 11.2. That's right. So let's think through. There are two different categories. There's annual meeting and special meeting. So now that this annual meeting has been canceled, the next annual meeting will be in Nashville in 2021. An annual meeting is a very specific category and there are all kinds of parameters that surround it. Our bylaws talk about how an annual meeting has to take place on a, it starts on a Tuesday and goes through a Wednesday. It has to have 
convention hotels within a certain radius. It has to have business that takes place in this type of order. There are all kinds of rules that go with an annual meeting. So we will not have another annual meeting until 2021 in Nashville. Yes. The special meeting is a different category, and that's a parliamentary yes. category. I mean, that's, that's something in Robert's rules. Yes. It's like Outback. No rules, just right. <laughs> so the so the way Kinda. that that is lay, laid out in our constitution is that the SBC president can call a special meeting with the concurrence of the other officers of the convention and the executive committee. So if a special meeting were to get called, when and where is decided as part of the process of calling the meeting, it doesn't have to include all the items of business. It doesn't have to be conducted in accordance with the same rules of an annual meeting. Only items of business specified in the call of the meeting could be conducted there. And as a special meeting is called, those items of business would be identified. So that is something that is in Article 11. That is not uh, anything that has been announced or discussed. And in some ways, I think everyone realizes that we are in this kind of strange time with a, a global pandemic that it's very difficult to even make those plans. In thinking about that, and even when people have discussed about rescheduling, the rescheduling option was only laid out in that third, in that third one. And that is not what was decided this week. If a special meeting were to happen, it would sort of be under its own rules for the special meeting is being called to do this specific business that is defined in calling the meeting itself. So that's a parliamentary category that is allowed under the Constitution. We would just have to see if that were if that were to take place. Regardless, the actual sort of what we know as the annual meeting, that will be next year in Nashville. Another question that I have seen, and it is understandable, is a lot of folks have, have wondered, why now? When we're still watching this unfold, should we not have waited a little bit longer? A lot of that has to do with all that is required to put on a meeting of this magnitude for a number of people and thinking through everything, exhibitors having to make orders, having to develop materials, having to set travel plans for all of their people, churches making decisions about who is going and not only do we have the uncertainty surrounding the, the pandemic, but we have a pretty financially uncertain time. And a lot of people were at the sort of decision point for their preparation for the annual meeting. I think that's one reason that people were thinking a lot about it, because it's not so easy to just turn a meeting of this size that was anticipating 15,000 or more to be at it and had so many moving parts. So I think that's why that I think that's why they saw the urgency at this time to go ahead and begin and then looking out and recognizing, you know, from a practical standpoint, we this is just me speculating. So I didn't hear this from anyone. I'm just speculating that as we see some of these restrictions lift even in the next month or so, I mean, I'm we're on a shutdown. We're on a shelter in place order or a stay at home order until April 17th where I live. Yeah, April 11th here. Yeah, so even if things begin to lift in May, we're still talking about a meeting of thousands of people coming from all over the country 
from communities everywhere in every state to one location where we can't be six feet apart and then going back to their communities. And so when I look ahead at this timeline, it was kind of hard for me to imagine that we would be at the stage where we could do something like that. Um, Who knows? We might, we might be, you know, or who knows we might've been, but I think people saw that and then also realized that they were reaching a decision point. One example of this as well when making plans is there comes a point where through the hotel reservation system, all of those reservations would be released to hotels and then you're going to have credit card charges happening, things like that. That's way in advance of the annual meeting. That hasn't happened yet. So this was a pretty simple and easy process here. So that's just kind of one of those things to realize when you have a meeting of this magnitude, a lot has to be done in advance. And that's one reason the decision was pressing. Thank you for explaining that. Because that, that was a big question. You know, why now? Why, why, you know, there's plenty of time. Well, there's plenty of time for a gathering of a couple hundred maybe, but of 15,000 people, right? you got to have more runway. With a large so exhibit that, hall and yeah, lots yeah, of yeah, ancillary yeah. events, things like that. Yeah. Because you know, a lot of people, your, your husband works at a seminary. Seminaries blow it all out You know, at the annual meeting with their exhibits. I know the executive committee, we have a lot of capital outlay for those kind of things. It's going to save a lot of expenses. Uh, and it also, you know, it's, it's one of those things too. It, it kind of hurt us at the executive committee because revenue side, that helps offset some of the costs, not all the costs. We still don't make money on the annual meeting at the executive committee. It's still, you know, cost recovery, but not all of the cost recovery. Right. And now that revenue's dropped. Even though our expenses have dropped, we're still, you know, in the negative. We, on the annual yeah, meeting. we had things so, were already committed. Yes. Yeah. So, but and our, I'm sure that some of the seminaries and the colleges and, and Guidestone, you know, at Lifeway, they, they've also done that and they've right. got some sunk costs already. So it's just not as much as they would have had. Right. And I think in, in things like, I mean, shipping orders have to be sort of set up really early, mm-hmm. all, all of the, the things. And Printed that, materials, all that kind right. of thing. Yeah. You and I were about to pull the trigger on a, a really large print job for not just the SBC Life, but the programs and all the stuff that goes in the bags, the book of reports, all that was about to be printed in the next two to three weeks. And it's right. not now. So right. that, that has saved a lot on that side of things. I know a lot of the seminary is the same thing. All their same thing. collateral that they're giving away. So, uh, you know, it, it had to happen now before people got too far into it. All right. Well, that, that kind of does it for the recap. Anything else on the annual meeting, Amy? Here, here's one thing I will say. I know some of the seminaries, some of the institutions, Lifeway, I know they're, they're getting creative because they're missing the opportunity. Because one of the big things is, well, we don't get a chance to meet together or do anything like that. Right. My guess is we're going to see some creative opportunities coming from the executive committee, from Lifeway, from the seminaries about still trying to connect with people like they would have if they can't do it in person, maybe over the internet somehow. So we're just going to have to wait and see on those. Right. Yeah. Southeastern has actually announced that their luncheon is going to be a live stream, which I think is is pretty cool. So they're already, they've got. So we're gonna like just a live stream, like everybody jump on Zoom and watch Danny Aiken eat at his house. Um, I'm gonna guess he's not eating while he makes his presentation, but we get to see everything, hear the update, do all of it from the couch, apparently. Okay. So, yes. Well, it'd be really cool if like Charlotte was serving lunch, you know, mm-hmm. and they sat mm-hmm. down and. No, no, yeah, probably not. He's probably not interested in doing that, but. 
No, but he okay. did. I mean, you're saying that like he would bring his lunch up on the stage when he made his presentation. You know, he, that's fair. Yeah, he didn't do that's that. Fair. So, so. It, so what it'll be? It'll be a Zoom where everybody just kind of sits around and makes awkward small talk for 20 minutes, and then he'll start his presentation. Something like that. Uh, my, <laughs> but the one thing is that I know. Uh, We're kidding, Dr. Aiken. We're kidding. Yes, for every luncheon that I've been to for years, there's always some form of chicken is usually served. And so whatever I eat that day, I'm going to do something different. Airplane chicken is a must that day. Isn't that what it's called? Uh, Airline chicken, I believe. Airline chicken. Yes, which I ate four times in two days in Phoenix. And refused to cut mine up, by the way. Just want to bring that up one more time. Because I had a broken arm, remember? Couldn't, right. couldn't even feed myself, and you refused to. Right. Someone else did it for you, I think. Yeah, I it was can't. an IMB trustee, I think. Right, and which is very kind. Art Tolston at one meal, and Amy That's Jordan right. at another. It was very kind. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They were they were kind to me. They, they helped me out. Thanks right. a lot, Amy. Yes. All right. That's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. I decided to not go digging into past Baptist Press articles or annuals and just say this is this week in SBC history because this is something really major that has happened first time in 75 years. And actually, I mean, it's really the first time that that constitutional provision has been used that it was that the meeting was canceled. And so it's a pretty we're living in a pretty historic time anyway. We've reflected a lot on that around here, how this is going to be a year our children will never forget all that they are experiencing with COVID-19. But this was a historic week in the SBC. And so I was going to share something that I did read this week. Robert Naylor, who was the president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary years ago, father of Rebecca Naylor, who's very well-known missionary doctor, he wrote a book that I have checked out from the Southeastern Library, and it's called A Messenger's Memoirs, 61 Southern Baptist Convention Meetings. So basically, what he did was just lay out his reflections on the SBC every single year, which you know, that is a book that is after my own heart. Like, I love that. And so I went looking at what he said around this time, and there were a couple of paragraphs that he wrote in 1946. So when you get to that segment, it actually just skips over, like it's got his reflections on 1942, and then then his reflections on 1944, and then in 1946. So he writes in the 1946 reflection, Where was our centennial year? A committee of the convention had been planning its centennial session for five years. They had brought their reports to the convention yearly. Even in the 1943 annual, the year of the missed convention, there was a reference to the centennial. Suddenly, the formal meeting, which had long been anticipated, never came to pass. In absentia, in the 1945 convention annual, and then in the 1946 annual, there was an explanation. In 1945, the government issued an order that there was to be no gatherings larger than 50 people. The executive committee of the convention called an emergency meeting and planned compliance, but treated it as a thing delayed. By 1946, however, it had become simply one session of the 1946 convention recognizing the centennial that had passed. And this is the sentence that really got me. I am sure that there was some personal lesson in that that for me. 
in that the thing we sometimes major on assumes another dimension. And it just, I was struck by the fact that they had anticipated this centennial celebration for so long, and then it looked completely different from what they had expected. And so the things we sometimes major on assume another dimension, and that's where we're standing right now in that space. So I've reflected on that a lot the last few days, and I decided we didn't need to go back to a random story somewhere. We just needed to recognize that 75 years, a cancellation, this is kind of a once in a century moment. And uh, it, it is all happening in real time this week in SBC history. It absolutely did. And that was not lost on you and I or the others uh, who were involved in making this call this week. And not that we were involved in it. We were just right. We were observing. It. But boy, Tuesday but, was it was very oof. surreal. We we were just support staff doing what was asked of us and just knowing that it was happening and then preparing for the announcement. And I woke up on Tuesday morning and it was just a strange feeling because I had a sense like history is happening today. And it wasn't, it, sometimes you think that and it's like a, a positive thing. You know, you're like, let's get up and make history. And it was a weird experience to walk through that and say, we're making history right now. And it's what's happening both in the cancellation and in the circumstances is not good at all. And so it, it's it's been exactly. a weird week. We're approaching the longest episode in history, Amy. As we talk to, about well, this, well, isn't that but, usually our meeting reflection? Is the one that's yeah. usually really long? Yeah. That is true. That is true. That is fair. That is fair. Yeah. Okay. So, resources of the week, Amy. Your resource of the week is mine. Is a new podcast called Great Commission Conversations that is is really being hosted over at Facebook on that platform. It's a video podcast. And it is being co-hosted by Keith Whitfield and Chuck Lawless. So, of course, I would nepotism resources of the week. There you go. Um, Well, wait till yours comes, and then that that really will be it. So, this is uh, if you go to if you go look for Great Commission Conversations on Facebook, you'll see they've already got a few videos up, and they really have built this around how people can be missional in this situation. And so I think it will continue. And even after the pandemic, they will continue building upon what they've done here. But the focus right now is on the coronavirus. They've already had conversations with Micah Fries talking about local church ministry, some really cool practical things in there. And uh, then also a counselor who talks about sort of the traumatic side of this and how our communities are going through something like that together and what it means to minister to your people. They've also talked with Brian Autry and they have some other uh, some others scheduled. And so they're dropping those. I mean, they've dropped three this week. So go and check those out. Some of them are really short. The one with uh, about about the traumatic experience of this was about eight minutes long. So you can go and see and see that. I'm partial to this, but I think it's pretty cool. All right. Well, that's cool. Well, I'm partial to mine because yeah. my resource of the week is story time with Miss Beth, which is something my wife is doing. She's there doing children's stories on Facebook Live to try to keep connected with the kids in her ministry. Uh, many of you know my wife is a children's minister at our church, Forest Hills Baptist Church here in the Nashville area. And so she's trying to get as creative as she can to connect with these kids and keep connected with them during this time. And also she's really concerned for the emotional health, the mental health of the kids, because this is something that they're brand new to. They don't understand. Uh, many of them may be scared. 
So she's trying to do something in a way that will basically help them stay connected to the church, stay connected to her, and provide some kind of outlet and some kind of comfort at, at this time when they're basically stuck at home and stuck at the house all day. So uh, she's doing story times on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, 7 o'clock on the Facebook page for her children's ministry, FHBC Kids. All right. You feel free to tune in. It doesn't have to be just kids from this. You know, if Nora and them wanted to tune in from North Carolina, I'm sure that'd be fine too. So, That's right. Uh, Nora, yes. Leo, Nora. y'all check it out. Y'all check yes. it out. Face- check out Storytime. Uh, fa- um, Facebook, their parents can find it. I'll put the link in the show notes. And, right. you know, it, she's really enjoying doing that. And, uh, you know, today she did something else. She did a show and share with all the the kids, first to third grade, I think it was. Uh, they got on Zoom and it, she sent out the Zoom link and they could do like basically like show and tell. Oh, on, something uh, that matters, on, something that's important to them. Yeah. 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 That's so really cool. It was pretty neat to watch that. Yeah. So very creative. And yeah, this is the, I guess it's the Facebook resource of the week. You know, we're, we're doing yes. Facebook resources nepotism and resources nepotism resources. Yes. Yes. So we'll put links to those. Check them out. Yes, absolutely. So, well, Amy, it's been a historic week and one that you and I won't forget anytime soon. And no, we, we won't. When we started this five years ago, we're coming up on our fifth anniversary of starting this podcast. I never expected this episode. I certainly didn't expect it either. And we will be reflecting on this one, I think, for a while. Yeah. I think when we look at our stories of the year at the end of the year, this one may make the cut. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's number one. If it doesn't, oh, my word. <laughs> that means 2020 is really rough. So yeah, I mean, whoa, hello. Let's so. just call it number one because I don't think we need anything yes. more than no, this. Yeah. We don't need anything more That's than this. That's right. All right. Well, folks, thanks for sticking with us. I know it was a long episode today. Had a lot to cover with the cancellation of the annual meeting. We appreciate you uh, listening each and every week. Also, check out the new logo and website and everything. Pretty cool. Maybe you might have been surprised when you pulled that up today in your podcast app and you saw, oh, hey, there's a new logo. Hey, so did speaking, some did some work this week. Speaking of the historic week and what happened and the new website. I saw you reset the countdown clock. Oh, yeah. I was fixing to pull that up. I was actually... That's weird. We do that sometimes. You and I think alike. I was pulling that up as you were going to talk about that because I was going to mention that. But yes, we have reset the countdown clock to SBC 21. That's right. we are now 444 days away from SBC 21. Yes. There you go. And We've never had... Our counter's never been this high, Amy. I know. I didn't even know it could. Yeah, I didn't even know you could go over. I guess three sixty six, you could go over in a leap year, but it's four hundred forty four days and twenty hours. Crazy Ugh. stuff. So you can use that math to figure out what time we're actually. Recording That's right. This. That's right. It's noon central right now. Let's just put it that way. So yes. Anyway, all right. Well, we expect uh, some news next week. I'm sure we'll be dealing with how coronavirus is impacting our seminaries, our churches, our entities, our state conventions, and all the more. Uh, That's next right. week here on the podcast. But until then, we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>